This is the second session on the study of the book of Daniel. And this is actually a continuation of the, of the first sermon. Uh, so we will go ahead and read all of uh, chapter 1 as we dive in this morning. So verse 1 in chapter 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted, in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the, the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And again, that's another word for Babylonians. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to them the chief of eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and good will of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are of your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter and flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. <clears throat> As for these four men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Okay, so last session, if you'll remember with me, we began this, this new study and uh, we covered a lot of background knowledge, so if I would invite you to, to go back and look at that first session if you 
if you need some of that background knowledge, just the historical perspective and uh, when Daniel was written, who wrote it, um, what some of the critics have said about the timing of Daniel. So I would invite you again to go back and look at that first session if you're interested in that information. But then we started looking through chapter 1. And what we looked at was principles of courageous Christian living. And this is how we defined courageous Christian living. <clears throat> we defined it as the ability to stand firm in the faith in the face of temptation, suffering, or any difficult circumstances. So no matter what life may bring, it takes great courage to look at that circumstance right in the face and choose to stand, fir- stand firm in your faith in Christ. So the question really then is, is how do we do that? We can sometimes as Christians face some pretty difficult things in our lives. Uh, There are times, I think, in every believer's life where your faith will be challenged. We see it all over Scripture, uh, even with some of the strongest believers. So how do we courageously stand in the faith during those times? So chapter 1 here sets the scene in Babylon. Remember, the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah has been conquered by the world's strongest empire, Babylon, at this time. The year is about 605 B.C. And then the book of Daniel will actually take us all the way into the Persian Empire, which is the the next major empire on the scene. And and we'll we'll discuss that in more detail in the next session. Uh, But the Persian Empire followed Babylon, and we see that Daniel was still a prominent figure even, even in that empire. So here we are um, in 605 B.C., again, thousands of Israelites after decades and decades of straying from God and and many, many unheeded warnings by the prophets of God have been taken from Judah, from their home, and they've been made to settle in Babylon, this foreign land. And four of the Israelites that were taken were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Of course, that's the the names that the Babylonians gave them. These are teenage kids who have been taken from their homes in Judah. They've been stripped of their families, their friends, their environment, their place of worship. They've been stripped of their their schools, their educational system. Uh, They've been stripped of everything, stripped of even their names, as as I already mentioned, as we see in verses 6 and 7. Not only that, but they were put they were put in submission to the chief of eunuchs, which which may indicate that these guys were actually made eunuchs themselves, as we discussed in the, in the previous session. So Babylon has attempted to absolutely wipe out the identity of these Hebrew children um, and give them a new Babylonian identity, so that they can use their skills and their knowledge and their wisdom that this chapter talks about for the upbuilding of of the kingdom of Babylon. So talk about being in a situation that would shake your faith a little bit. But of course, as we see in chapter 1, these young men, despite their circumstances, were not shaken. They faced this circumstance with great courage. And and from that, we begin to put together our principles of, of courageous Christian living. And the first principle that we did discuss last time, it's the only one we got through, um, is to embrace the purposes of God. So we see these Hebrew children in verses 1 through 7 really embracing the place that God has placed them. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has attempted to give these teenagers a completely new anti Jewish, pro Babylonian identity. 
This was the Babylonian strategy. Take the best and the brightest of every conquered people, brainwash them completely, gain their absolute allegiance, and, and then use their gifts and skills for building uh, for the building of the empire. So uh, a pretty smart strategy by, by the Babylonians. But that's what's going on here um, with Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. The king has even gone so far as to, to make them eunuchs and, and give them uh, new names to change their identity. But ultimately, he could not change their identity because they found their identity in something much greater than their name or their home or their family or their relationships or their ability to reproduce even. Uh, they found their identities in fulfilling God's purpose for their lives. So we don't see them running or fighting or shaking their fists at God. God, how could you do this to us? Instead, these young boys had the mindset that maybe God is doing something through all of this. Maybe my place is right here in the midst of this terrible struggle. Because God is about to move. He's about to do something in my life and He's preparing me for that. And for us, it takes a lot of courage to have this kind of mindset. This is not a natural mindset, even even for the Christian. Yes, I'm going through the fire right now. Yes, I am tempted right now. Yes, I am suffering right now. But God has a purpose in all of this. He is sovereign in all of this. I may not understand it, but I will still follow Him. And so our first principle is that we embrace the purposes of God. And we talked again in, in much more detail last time about that first principle. But every circumstance in our lives is an opportunity to bring God glory to bring glory to the one who has paid everything for us through Jesus Christ. And so with that, we'll move on to our uh, our second principle of courageous living. And that's that uh, if we're going to live courageously, uh, we need to prepare in advance for the trial. Let me give us a little illustration before we jump into this uh, full-fledged here. Um, how many of us know... Uh, in or maybe new in school, those guys and those girls who would obviously not ever study for a test. And then about 30 minutes before the test, uh, they're trying to cram every bit of information into their brains, and they're they're all business. Like if you're if you're talking to them, if you talk around them, you're going to get scolded. Hey, I'm trying to study over here. Like, can you guys keep it down? I'm trying to study. Then of course, invariably, every time. They would fail, and they were they were shocked that they would fail that test. And then, and then, of course, whose fault is it that they failed? Well, it's the teachers. Well, those bad questions. How could she expect us to know in that much detail? Those questions were tricky. They blame the test maker for their lack of preparation. And we've probably all kind of known those people. Hopefully, we weren't those people in school, but but we've probably all, all known those people. Um, in school, but they blame the test maker for their lack of preparation. And how many times is it just the same in our Christian lives? We do the very same thing. We choose to busy our weeks with fun or, or fellowship or maybe even good things, everything we want to do. Meanwhile, we neglect our prayer lives and we neglect our Bibles. We, we neglect the study of God's precious Word. And then when the trial comes... Uh, we, we expect that we're going to stand firm in our faith. And then what happens is when we don't pass the test, when we do fall into that sin, uh, when we do uh, experience that, that deep, deep suffering, uh, 
so many times we're ready to blame God. We're ready to place the blame on him. So the king in verse 5 had commanded that all of these exiles in his palace would eat of the portion of the king's meat, right? This, of course, doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but to these Hebrew children, Hebrew teenagers, it was a huge test. This is likely because of a combination of things. Um, first, the meat would likely include some foods prohibited, just directly prohibited by God's law that we read in the Old Testament here. Um, and then secondly, likely, those meats would have been first offered to idols, and eating them, of course, would honor those false gods, those false idols. We don't exactly know the reason. We're not given uh, the reason that this was such a dilemma for these Hebrew children. That that would be my, my best guess, would be a combination of those two things. But we don't really know. Um, but what we do know is that it would have disabled them from having a clear conscience towards God. So here it is. Here's the test. Their faith is being tested. <clears throat> now these Hebrew boys had obviously, up to this point, they had lived lives. Uh, up to this point in exile, that had prepared them for this moment. We see that in how they respond to this temptation. And we'll see that later in, in, in chapter 3, how they respond uh, to that temptation much later, but uh, they had obviously lived lives that had prepared them for this moment. Uh, look at verse 3 and 4 here. Here we find that these boys were nobles of Judah. They were royalty. It says they were gifted in all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. They would have grown up knowing the Scriptures. They had a, obviously a good family foundation that had, that had taught them the scriptures. They would have heard the stories of the Exodus from from Egypt. They would have heard of all of the miracles that God had um, led led His people through. They would have known the prophecies of even this time in exile that had been prophesied by by people like Jeremiah, and they would have remembered them in these moments. See, these boys they didn't live reactionary lives. Rather, they prepared themselves in advance while they were still in the palace, while life was good, while there was no sign of trouble, they were diligent in their relationships with God. And for us as Christians, we can't expect to just live a life of neglect in our relationship towards Christ or lukewarmness in that relationship. And then we find ourselves in this fiery trial because it's coming. Jesus promised it. And we can't find ourselves in that fiery trial and think that we're actually going to stand for Jesus. It's just not going to happen. Satan is more powerful than any Christian apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from apart from the help of Jesus. Remember in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Christians, we, we literally can do nothing without absolutely dwelling in our relationship with Christ. We're going to fall if we're not doing that daily. into a daily process. And remember what else Jesus said. He said in John 16.33, He said, In this world you will have tribulation. Of course, then He follows that with, Nevertheless, I have overcome the world. Right? But He promised us that we are going to have tribulation. Boy, sometimes we forget that Jesus actually promised us hardship. He promised us difficult circumstances. He promised us temptation. And then we get surprised by it when it comes. 
but he also gave us a way to overcome it. And that's the only way, is by dwelling in our relationship with Christ. We see this all the time on our college campuses. Um, A professed Christian who does not really know the Word of God, he hasn't prepared himself for college from a spiritual perspective. He's not, maybe not even developed an actual relationship with God. He's just been kind of doing the church thing his whole life. Maybe his parents made him or something, but, but he's, it's not really his faith. So he comes to college, gets tested by, by a college professor or maybe college friends, and, and then suddenly God is not powerful enough, right? No, the problem is that that person was not diligent in their preparation, or maybe our churches were not diligent in our preparation. We weren't diligent. Oh, how long, how Risen Life Fellowship longs to be a church that produces young students who, who go to college and they're absolutely grounded in the Word of God and they would die for this Word. But you know, that doesn't come through laziness or through excuses or through wasted day after wasted day. Um, you know, I believe every day that goes by, we should ask ourselves, did, did I draw closer to Jesus today? Or did I waste another one? Because if we didn't draw closer to Jesus that day, what did we really accomplish in that day? So these boys, they were prepared. Even at their young age, they had complete confidence that the God they served was sovereign over any king and could conquer any circumstance. Now obviously this wasn't the norm in Judah. Um, Judah was just conquered because the nation as a whole had turned away from God. But these boys were different because they prepared in advance. They prepared in advance. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he said to study to show yourself approved. He wasn't just saying that for fun. He wasn't just saying that flippantly. Right after that, he would talk about these false teachers who would come in and shake things up. So he was essentially saying, Timothy, you you better be prepared. You better prepare now. Because you don't decide in the middle of a war that you need a weapon. You know, you've got to prepare now because these false teachers, they are coming. And we need to be able to stand firm in the Word. We can't stand firm in the Word if we don't know the Word. If we as Christians live lives of just reacting to every circumstance rather than preparing in advance for whatever life may bring and then responding in trust of the promises we already know, we won't be very effective in this life. And even more, we'll be miserable. There's nothing more miserable than a backslidden Christian. And so we must prepare for the trials that we know are coming. Now, how do we do that? Well, first of all, I would recommend you get into a Bible-proclaiming, um, people-loving church, and you begin to set, a time, set aside time each day to study the Word and pray. And prayer and study of the Word. I feel like I'm always just coming up with different ways to say that because it's the most important thing as a pastor that I can I can tell my people is to crave the Word of God and crave that time in prayer of of the one who's given uh, to the one who's given everything for us. And and to do that, you really must 
You've got to plan and protect that time, or it's really never going to happen. You've got to plan a time. Every day at this time, I'm going to spend some time in the Word. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And then you protect it. If someone uh, you know, wants you to do something at that time, no, this is my time with the Lord. If, if it absolutely has to be done, then make sure you reschedule that time. Uh, but that's really the only way that I've found to be consistent is that you plan and you protect that time with Jesus. Um, these boys had already defeated the enemy long before the temptation came because they had prepared in advance. And so the next principle of courageous Christian living that I think we see in this chapter is is that we just need to sometimes determine not to compromise. Just determine not to compromise. This is we'll see this in verses eight through fourteen here. But Daniel and the others decided that they were not going to eat the king's meat. They accepted. They accepted their names being changed. They accepted the new education, the new homes. They, But they really drew the line at this. They could not, with a clear conscience, eat this meat. They knew it would affect their relationships with God. They were okay with personal humiliation and mocking and trying to change their identity completely. But their relationship with God, it was not touchable. It was not compromisable. So what did they do? And verse 8 uh, tells us what, what Daniel did. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. And the verse goes on there. But he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And I, I love I love that phrase, he purposed in his heart. And, and really that, that verb purposed, it, it means a committing of one's cause before God. In other words, Daniel and these Hebrews these Hebrew children, they def- they determined, they committed, they decided once and for all that this was not an option. I love that that grit, you know, that they had in their in their relationships with Jesus. With their <clears throat> so many times, it seems we as Christians are quick to act as if as if we are, we're just powerless creatures when it comes to sin. We want to take very little responsibility for our actions sometimes and, and want to put, point the fingers and place the blame about um, how this person should have protected me. You know, How could they put me in that situation? Or how come nobody held me accountable? Like, Where's my accountability partner when I need it? And you know, sometimes, I think as Christians, sometimes it's just a matter of we need to love Christ enough and love His gospel enough to just determine in our hearts that we will not bring shame to His name. And sometimes I think it's as simple as that. There's no excuses, nobody responsible but me. I'm just deciding I will not defile myself and bring shame to the cross. See, this is what Daniel did here. Now, accountability is a wonderful thing. I would I would invite everyone um, to have an accountability partner have someone a group or a person that holds you accountable um, holds you accountable to God's word and, and is, is not afraid to, to point things out in your life that don't match up uh, with what you say you believe in God's word but accountability partners cannot be responsible for keeping you out of every single sinful situation at some point it's it's time that we as individuals, we have a backbone for Jesus. And we stop blaming everyone else for why we, we've missed church the last four Sundays or why we're out of the Word or why we've fallen into sin. Um, sometimes it's as simple as looking in the mirror and saying, you know, I, I just did not purpose in my heart to keep myself pure. 
I didn't purpose in my heart to keep myself pure. It wasn't that important to me. And so that's what we see Daniel doing here. He purposed in his heart. And he didn't even have the Holy Spirit in his heart to guide him. I can't imagine what life must have been like for these Old Testament believers who really didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We don't see that until Acts chapter 2. So in the Old Testament, they didn't have what we have today. We have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us. But Daniel didn't have that. But Daniel also, he didn't stop there. He didn't just purpose in his heart. After that, he, he made a plan not to defile himself. He set boundaries. In verses 9 through 14, they talk about Daniel going to his boss with a plan to keep himself pure. You know, for 10 days, if, if you'll just let us not eat these, the king's delicacies for 10 days, and then we'll, we'll put it to the test and we'll see, you know, see what we're looking like. Um, he put a plan in place. So it would have been so easy for Daniel and these other Hebrew children just to let this one slide. You know, just eat the meat and serve God in other ways. Lord, you put me in this situation anyway. I'm just going to eat the meat and I'm going to serve you in other ways. I'm going to find other ways to serve the Lord. He absolutely could have died uh, for making the request that he makes. Uh, We see that in verse 10 there that that the uh, chief of the eunuchs, he says that you would endanger my head. Um, before the king, so the chief of the eunuchs is afraid that if he lets this happen, um, he's going to lose his head, he's going to lose his life. So it would have been very easy for Daniel again just to decide, well, I'll, just, I'll, I'll serve God in other ways, but, but I'll just compromise a little bit here. But instead, he found God's word worthy. He found God's word worthy. Even though God had brought him to the situation, where it was seemingly impossible for Daniel to do the right thing. I mean, it it honestly was seemingly impossible to do the right thing here. And God had brought him here. But with great boldness, he trusted, and then he set the boundary. He purposed in his heart, and then he set boundaries in his life. And we can learn so much from Daniel here. And what is that sin that maybe you continue to struggle with in your life? Let me ask you have, you, have you not found God's Word worthy enough to fight for? Have you not found God's Spirit strong enough to help you? Is this situation really too big for Him? Is that lack of forgiveness or maybe that sexual sin or maybe it's just pure laziness or that addiction to social media or that addiction to pornography, is it just too big for Christ today? So here's the solution. First, you, you begin to you purpose in your heart. I will not defile the cross. I will not defile Jesus. This is the number one thing I will not do. This is the rock of my life, and I will not defile Him. And then you set boundaries in your life. This is where those chains begin to be released in your life. So if your thing is that maybe you waste too much time sleeping, maybe it's just laziness, well, you do whatever it takes to get out of bed. You set 18 alarms. You do whatever it takes to get out of the bed and to start serving the Lord. If your thing is internet pornography, well, you determine to stop in your heart. And then you set boundaries. If you need to get rid of your computer, you get rid of your computer. You see, there's nothing, there's no boundary uh, that's that's too much to ask when it comes to our relationship 
with Jesus. The question is, do we love Him enough to set those boundaries? We are not helpless. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And it's a courageous, bold, very difficult thing to actually trust Him with something. Nobody else is doing it. But we must as Christians. It's not a popular thing. Even even amongst church-going people, it's not a popular thing to set boundaries in your life and begin to crucify that flesh, those fleshly desires. Boy, it's not a popular thing. But we've really got to stop playing the poor me card. The, the why, why wasn't I held accountable? And then we go to war with some of the stuff in our lives. Anything that's drawing us further away from Jesus, we go to war with it. And you know what will happen if you start to actually look at these principles and follow them? I think you're going to see chains break. You're going to see that you're actually a little missionary when you go to work and you go to school. You're going to see that you you can get through that addiction through the Spirit's power. You can get through it with the Spirit's power. You're going to see that God can move mountains with your faithful life. And that's what we see here, the results of courageous living here in verses 15, really through the end of the chapter. Um, we see these. So in verse 15, it says, And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the other young men who ate of the portion of the king's delicacies. So God literally has worked a miracle in their lives because they were faithful. And so they look bigger and fatter. They look, uh, and that fatter is obviously a good thing in this context. Um, but they look better than all of the other king's men. God worked a miracle in their lives here. Then in verse 17, uh, we see that they excelled in the kingdom. They were promoted. Um, if we will embrace His purposes, you know, He has put us here. This is, this is the situation that we're in. God is in control of whatever suffering I may be going through in my life. And then if we will prepare ourselves in advance for the trial. So if you're not in trial today, if you're not facing some um, terrible circumstance, well, that means you're in a time of preparation. If we will begin preparing for those trials, and then if we'll determine in our hearts we're not going to compromise, I promise you we're going to see Him move in our lives, even in the impossible situations. Our God is the God of the impossible. So we see that God displays His power when we... um, when we are courageous in our Christian lives. And then we also see that God opens new doors. So look at verse 21. Then Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel was promoted, and he would eventually become the prime minister, essentially, of both empires, of the Babylonian Empire and then later the Medo-Persian Empire. And you know what would happen about 70 years later when the Persians had taken over um, I believe because of Daniel's influence on King Cyrus, he was right up there as like a prime minister. Uh, the Israelites eventually got to return home and to build their temple and, and build their city. I believe that had a lot to do with Daniel's faithful, faithfulness and his relationship with King Cyrus. And so we see that God opens new doors that we never thought possible if we are faithful to Him, if we will... Uh, embrace these these principles of courageous Christian living. When we live courageously, trusting the Spirit and trusting the Word of God, 
We'll see doors open for the gospel that we could never imagine. And I want to brag on one of the members of our church at Risen Life Fellowship, um, who, a young lady who's in med school, and you know she she began several months ago uh, meeting with the Muslim student organization on ETSU's campus. And she began just going to those meetings, just trying to build bridges, build relationships months and months ago. And I'll be honest with you, I thought, you know, she's crazy. Like, what, you know, what is she doing? It's, it's, uh, you know, what does she see coming out of this? And I'm so proud to say that, that here a couple of weeks ago, she actually was invited to that same organization to share her Christian faith and her Christian testimony and, and about her relationship with Jesus, and we're beginning to see God open doors with the Muslim Student Organization um, on ETSU's campus because one young lady was was courageous and faithful and thought God's word worthy enough to fight for, even when the circumstance really seemed impossible. And so there's really no telling what God can do in our lives, the doors that He may open. Nothing, no person is too lost. Um, no situation is too difficult for our God. So there's no telling what He will do if we will embrace these principles that we see here in Daniel chapter 1. Um, but here's what happens if we refuse to consider our circumstances opportunities from God. If we refuse to prepare for the trial. If we refuse to purpose in our hearts that God's Word is right and that I, might, I may be wrong. Well, we become a hindrance to the kingdom of God to the Spirit's work in our lives and in the lives of others. And we spend our whole lives talking about someday when we're really going to start living for God and He's really going to use us you know, for something big. And we miss these little opportunities in our lives. He will never use us in the big things if we're unfaithful in the little. I know I say that a lot, but He will never use us in the big things if we're going to be unfaithful in the little things, the everyday things. And through Jesus, we have power to live courageously. He, like Daniel, was transplanted into a foreign land, right? Earth. He came from, from all His glory in heaven to earth to a, a sinful land. But His eyes were always on the Father and on the Father's plan of salvation to save you and I. But he knew that he would have to suffer the ultimate cost. And he did it willingly because of his great love for us. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate example of courageous living um, with our eyes on the Father, our eyes on eternity. And through Jesus' power, there is no amount of suffering or temptation or trial that can overcome the Christian, thank God, in him. We truly do have everything. And so as we close this session, I would just like to invite you to to examine your life. Um, Are you preparing at this time in your life? Are you preparing for the trial? Are you spending that daily time uh, with Christ in prayer and in Bible study? Um, You know, there's only so much, so much growth that can happen on Sunday mornings in a church. And I would invite you to be in a a Bible-proclaiming church. But guys, if this isn't a personal faith, if it's not something you take uh, Monday through Saturday and you really start to build on, you're going to find yourself in trouble during the trial. 
you're going to find yourself with no anchor really to hold to. And that's what we're after here. So are you preparing for the trial? Um, Are you considering suffering an opportunity? Boy, I mean, it's difficult sometimes. Sometimes we go through some tough stuff, but Jesus is molding us into more of the image of Himself. And so are we considering an opportunity? And then maybe are there just some things in your life, some sins that you just need to put to death right now and you need to spend some time uh, with the Father. And, and you know, the, the Bible says that, that if, we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what a beautiful promise we have through Jesus that if we'll confess our sin, man, He is standing there with arms wide open, ready to use us again. So I would just invite you as we close this session to, to just examine your life. Are you following these principles of courageous Christian living that we find here in Daniel chapter 1?